If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The only person, in my opinion, that could have achieved just as great as a legacy as Mike, to me, would have been Chris Brown. I just believe that Chris Brown was surrounded by the circle of creative people that Mike was surrounded by. Wow. Because Chris got the talent. Wow. He just needed the direction. All my life, been grinding all my life. Sacrifice, hustle, pay the price. Want a slice, got to roll the dice, that's why. All my life, I've been grinding all my life. Yeah. All my life, been grinding all my life. Sacrifice, hustle, pay the price. Want a slice, got to roll the dice, that's why. All my life, I've been grinding all my life. Hello, welcome to another edition of Club Shay Shay. I am your host, also the proprietor of Club Shay Shay, and the guy that's stopping by for a drink and conversation today is a diamond and platinum selling uh, singer, songwriter, producer, Grammy nominated, recording label owner, entrepreneur, and philanthropist, Akon. Rob, What's up, baby? How you doing? From the crib, all the way from the A? How you doing? I'm amazing, man. Hold up, let me get this. Pronounce your full name for me. I need you to slow it down. Hey. I did, the, only thing I, the only thing I heard was Akon. <laughs> hey, everything else ran together. Okay, so. Everything else ran together for sure. Okay, so. How you say the first part? Alun. 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 Da Mala. Alun Damala. Damala. Right, Buga. Time. Puru. Ndaka, Lululu, Badra. Oh, so all, also what, what they wrote on my card, all that's not, you got more names than that. You got like seven, eight names. I mean, <laughs> so let me ask you a question. Who actually calls you your government name? Or they just call you Akon? Yeah, my family's called me Ali. They just call you Ali? Ali, it's short for Aliun. So if, so if somebody were to like, if you walking down the street and they were to say, Ali, you would assume they family. I would have, I would have, 100%. It's either family or somebody that knew me since I was a kid. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you got new music coming out. What made you, what made you decide to get back into the music game at this point? Um, well, actually, you know, it's like, after you've done achieved everything, yeah. you kind of go back to what you love. Like right. You go back to the root of what makes you happy. Right. And music was just that thing because I realized my first go around in the music business, Everything was so based around the business. Right. Everything was like, okay, cool. I need to make money. I need to get rich. I need right. to invest. I need to make sure that my family, my kids, and their kids are straight, right? right? So once you got your investments all in order, then my legacy was built out. Philanthropy was really, you know, was um, based and balanced in Africa. I was like, man, I want to, I didn't, I wasn't enjoying myself after a while. I wanted to just go back to having fun again. So you and wanted to go back and make music that you like, not so much that, it, it might not have the commercial appeal because you've already satisfied that side. Now let me do what I like. Right, but... But, but you want enough, a commercial appeal still. But, no, but this is the thing. Even when I was doing music, I only did what I liked anyway. Okay. But that's the only part of it that I enjoy. Okay. But it's the... Everything that's attached to music, all the opportunities that you can actually run into that, you know, that the business side came from what music attracted. Right. So the music opened the doors that, no, that normal doors wouldn't open for me. What is it that you don't like about the music business? I don't like the politics about it. When you say politics? I think the politics about it is what really drove me away from it. And then it's also the, uh, the aspect of just the unoriginality of it. Like, I felt like if one thing worked, the whole industry would ride towards that one thing right. that worked and everybody would try to duplicate that. It became more of a copy and paste industry. Right. Originality didn't matter anymore. Right. And then if you, was in, if, if you tried to be original, 
you got shunned or blocked because it, it wasn't nothing close to what everybody else was doing. Everything became and I just, Yeah, I couldn't get with that, yeah. So, <clears throat> you, you, I mean, when you talk about Locked Up, and I'm, I'm looking at your career, before uh, Locked Up took off, you were going around to prisons and actually performing. Right. That's how he broke the record. Yeah, it was interesting. Why? <laughs> I heard of small gymnasium, YMCAs. I really heard people kicking it off in the prison system. No, no, no. <laughs> so, so what made you decide to go that route? Well, it was it was about being creative. At and they like they got a whole lot of money to pay for top price for tickets. At all, <laughs> it was free actually. Exactly. I had to actually pay to get it done. Exactly. <laughs> no, but what it was when we first did locked up, it 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 was it was it was tough to get it played on right. the radio. Right. Tough to get it marketed and to promote it. And my whole concept about it, I was like, wait, this is a street record. Right. Obviously, street to the core. The best place for this record to actually get any kind of marketing promotion is the place and where the concept came from, which was in jail, right? Right. So I ran into this warden over at um, Rikers Island at the time. Okay. They had this new program that they was exercising, and he reached out to Steve Rifkin, one of, you know, at the time, was the CEO of SRC Records, who I was signed to. And he said, yo, listen, man, we got this concept where we want to be able to bring artists to come perform for inmates, you know, and just kind of get these kids, you know, Thinking more about positive, along, yeah, okay. positive. So I was like, man, I, listen, I do it. Let's go locked up. It's the right. perfect record. Right. So we went in and did it. The program was so successful. He invited us to all his other areas that he controlled. Right. And we ended up doing a penitentiary tour. And then how the record popped off was that the inmates would call their parents and have their parents call the radio station on three way to request a record. And that's how the record broke on the radio. Wow. Yeah. Did you think at the time that you was making this record that it was going to do what it did? No, I had no idea. At the time, it was, just a, it was a passion project. I was just going through the process and wrote about it because I had a habit of writing things that I went through. So when I got locked up, that habit followed me in jail and ultimately just became what it was. So that would be so locked up is real life for you. Yeah, it, yeah, real experiences. Yeah. Speaking of that, we see now in Atlanta what's going on in Atlanta. We right. see Gunner, we see, I think, Young Thug, the right. YSL. And they're using their actual lyrics right. in the Rico in the statue. Right. You wrote, this is real life to me. How much should they be allowed? Because in California, Governor Newsom said, nah, we're not going to use lyrics against people. Right. And, and you know what? I, I agree with not using lyrics against people because a lot of times, most of the stuff that a lot of rappers are talking about ain't true. Right. It's this fantasy world right. of being a gangster or this right. fantasy world of being the... The, the OG, studio gangsters. Studio gangsters, okay. right? So, which is cool because movies do the same thing. They exactly. Real life, right? Yeah, yeah. You kill somebody in a movie, right. don't mean they can go and right. say, "Oh, well, you kill somebody, you're, you're, I'm charging you for murder." Right. But the difference in a lot of these cases is that this, a lot of the information that's being released on these songs, are information that's never been put to the public in an investigation. Right. So, how do you justify lyrics in an investigation that match a case almost to the T? that it's information that's never been released to the public. Right. It's kind of hard to fight that. So to kind of confess your own crimes on a record is right. kind of stupid. Yeah, it is, <laughs> it, 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 it is a, little, a little ridiculous. It's a, yeah, it's ridiculous. I mean, look, I, I, I love your stuff. I mean, you from the crib, so I, I got a special liking to artists that's in Atlanta, like Tip and Luda, yourself, right. uh, Goody Mob, uh, Outkast, okay, those right. guys. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm biased. I love Locked Up, but my favorite song, You on the Hook, with the Soul Survivor. Yeah, so how did, that, how, did, how did that project come about? Yeah, that, that's actually one of my favorite records as well, too. At the time, um, BMF was a, a group out of Atlanta that was just like, they was... They were, they were big. They was killing it. They, 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 In every they, aspect, right? Literally and figuratively, they were right? killing it. Okay, okay. <laughs> and Meech was a really, really good friend of mine. Okay. And he said, listen, Khan, I got this artist, man. I need your help on it. I promise you, man, I'm, I'm going to look out for you. However you need me, I got you. I said, man, brother, just bring him too. Right. He brought him by the studio. Yeah. And Jeezy, at the time, was so raw. Right. I was like, bro, this kid, I don't know where you found him, but he's out of here. Right. Like, he's out of here. Right. So Jeezy played me his mixtape at that time. And I said, okay, cool. So when I left the studio, I reached back to me and I said, I got him. Trust me. So I, I, I did a record, which was Soul Survival. Sent it to Jeezy. As soon as he heard it, he's like, oh, bro, this is it. This is it. Yeah, this is it. He knew we had a banger. He knew, like he knew. I mean, literally, an hour didn't pass. He sent me back the song, always with his lyrics already on it. I was like, oh yeah, it was, this is a monster record. But it was, it was as simple as Meech connecting us. Right. Yeah. Is that how? It, is that is, is as simple as that? 
somebody brings you an artist. Because it happens all the time. I've right. seen people passing you mixtapes on the street. Oh, like, hey, 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 bro. Hey, right. I got that heat on me, bro. I need you to take a listen. What, what made you so sure that Jeezy was it? I just knew. Like, I think that's always been a gift of mine that God just gave me that pulse to know a star when I see it. Mm -hmm. Like, I just knew it. Like, right. I just automatically knew it. But me, a lot of my collaborations come from me just passionately liking it personally. Right. Like, if I like it personally, I'm going to do it regardless of what, because I just I just like it. Right. And I see it's going to go somewhere, but oftentimes it was never politics involved in my decisions when it came to music. You got the Guinness World Record number one selling artist at Ringtone. Right. How did, <laughs> how did that happen? Well, at the time, like, music was always like a vehicle to me to get to the money. Okay. Like, imagine a hustler seeing an opportunity where you can be famous and use that to open up doors for other opportunities to right. make money, right? Right. So when I was doing records, I looked at the concept and the stats of how people were rushing and beating themselves up to sell singles, which was like four minutes long. Right. And for $1.99. Right. And then you had ringtones, which was just new in the market, you know, a digital, you know, concept where the ringtone was like 15 seconds long, right. but it was $4.99. Like, okay. I said, well, hell up. I think I'm on the wrong side of the yeah. sales. <laughs> <laughs> we need to be selling ringtones. If, right. if all I need is 15 seconds of it for $5. And it was that on. simple. It was that simple. And that's when I started creating my whole revenue model around s selling ringtones. So every single was based on a ringtone. Obviously, the Atlanta scene, I mean, everybody knows everybody. You know Killer Mike, you right. know Gunner, you know Young Thug, you know Tip, you know Luda. Right. So what makes the Atlanta scene so special? Ooh, I think the, what made Atlanta so special was the fact that it was something brand new to hip hop at the time. You know, they had a different perspective when it came to rap music. Cause we used to be R&B, we had, we had Babyface. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, we had L.A. Reid, we had TLC. We had, uh, we had, we but I think LaFace yeah. don't get enough credit for- They started it they all. They started it all, man. Yeah. L.A. Reid and Babyface, oh. if it wasn't for them, there wouldn't be no Atlanta scene. Right. Like, they took it to the, to the South where they saw the, the, I mean, it was just brewing talent that yeah. nobody was actually cooking. Right. Like, how do you, like, oh, they's like, man, we need to set up shop right here. Right. And sure enough, when the, um, when the Olympics came and the world came to Atlanta, it also created this international vibe as well, too. So you got a lot of, like myself, I came because of the, um, Olympics. the Olympics. Mm -hmm. So, but when he created that and then people actually was able to hear the sounds of the South, and feel the energy of it, I think it, it really transformed the business because everybody was so inspired that it, even people from New York was trying to sound like they from the South. Right. And it just changed the game. You mentioned, uh, we were talking about the uh, YSL and their situation and, 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 and BMF, uh, Black Mafia family. How, how did that, because it seems like the BMF and what they had, they glamorized it. They had a doc, had a thing on, I think it was Netflix. Yep. And they showed the rise and the fall of the BMF and they showed the big lavish cars and they showed the strip right. clubs and all that stuff. Is that, tell me Atlanta's more than that. No, Atlanta's definitely more than that. I mean, you gotta think New York had it too in Brooklyn. Like, <laughs> right. You can go in pretty much any city. Right. You know, LA had it with Rick Ross. Like right. anywhere you go, they're, they're gonna have that. Rap music was based around the lifestyle of the struggle, like the rags to riches story is right. rap music, mm -hmm. right? So when you, in any major, you know, challenged neighborhood or hood, you can kind of say, okay, there's always been that one person that everybody looked up to, which was the neighborhood drug dealer, right? right? He made the money fast, he looked amazing, all the girls wanted nice him. Car. He's Right, he's the right. guy that all the kids want to be like. Yeah. But see, coming up, the OGs would tell you, nah, bro, you ain't touching that, go to school. Right. Today, it ain't the same. There right. ain't no OGs, OGs that are gonna give you that game. Right. All the OGs that gave us the game are all dead or locked up. Yeah. So And so now what it is is, is social media. It's because all every, social media. Every everything on social media, everybody doing well. Cause they, social media got me thinking I'm I'm poor the mug. Oh, okay. I, they got Roll Roy, they got business, they fly private jet. I'm like, how you fly private jet? I'm flying commercial. What am I doing? What am I doing wrong? What do you want to start wrong? rapping or selling something? Yeah, I mean, but the social media is just like a rap song now. Okay. You can become whoever you want to become, right? So the rap song, we idolize those, that group, and that's the, we're telling their stories. Right. Like, when you look at rappers, they're telling the BMF stories. They're telling those stories. Like, right. they, it wasn't them living it, but they living through them. Through them. But through the music, you can become that, right? So right. social media is no different. The only difference is now, now you can curate your background, you know, produce your whole environment and make it look like you're this billionaire, you know, and then right when you jump off that private jet that you just took a picture next to, <laughs> that you didn't even rent, yeah. 
you go back to the front of the, you know, the signature place and ask for and, and call your Uber, right? right. So it's yeah. like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but at the end of the day, when you look at the, the, the I mean, your, man, your feed look like, oh man, this boy getting it. Yes, yes. He getting it, you know? Do you, has social media skewed reality? 100%. Because social media took reality, but well, well, artificial reality to the next level. Right. So before, everyone believed what you saw on television. Like, TV was the truth, because you can vis visually, like, visually right, see right. Now, social media has become and took the place of television, because now television, everyone can curate their own program. Right. Like, they can curate what they want the world to see or envision when it comes to them. Like, you can create your own personality through just, you just got to be good at tech. You know, be very creative at the end of the day. Do you, I mean, these charges that Atlanta uh, on, on Young Thug and the YSL, they seem very serious. No, they're very serious. And uh, serious. they won't get bond. They've been, they tried to get bond and they've been denied, I think, three or four times, Thug mm -hmm. and Gunner. You think they go, you think they're going away for a while? Man, I pray that they never have to deal with that kind of experience. But the, the worst part of me is saying that they probably going to utilize them and use them as an example. That's what scares me because I'm sure they probably did. I mean, ain't nobody angels. Right. Everybody gonna go through what they go through. But right. I think a lot of the issues that they're dealing with are more issues that might have stemmed from their past. Right. That that's being presentized. Right. And of course, when you come from a past environment of that kind of life, as you get more successful, if you're smart, you will kind of you detach try to move yourself from, away it. from it. But unfortunately, these kids kind of try to keep that environment close to them to justify and make real what they're saying on records like right. everything is about okay is he real okay what's the question and what's the like what is the Why definition scared? of real right is it that okay what you're saying on your record is something that you're actually doing in real life or who you co-sign or co-signed by on record is actually around you when you've seen in public right so when now when you got these credible street guys that's out there standing next to somebody like a young thug or a gunner and these guys are still active and you know, obviously, if you're active in the streets, that means you're still out there committing crimes. But yet, you're, you know, you're with someone who might have been attached or involved in their life in the past, but they're still currently with you. You could easily be caught up in any kind of conspiracy because you know that person. If, they, right. if it's a case on that person and they pull up a Rico, just you knowing the person, you you tied in because right. of conspiracy. So you got to be a lot smarter than you know the average person to understand how much you have to lose by being attached to that environment. You got to be able to let that go. What happened to, like, man, laying in bed at night and the situation, not because I come from a very impoverished situation, mm -hmm. but when I laid in my bed at night, I was like, God, just give me an opportunity to get away from this. Yes. Yes. I can tell you about my story, but I didn't want to relive it. Okay, right. if you're trying to get out of these streets, why do you care to go back once you made it to try to relive that and try to impress people? Man, I'm still hood. Well, the problem is most of them never was. Okay. But when you got money... You can become what you never was. You can become what you always wanted to be. Yeah. Because ain't no reason, believe me, you know because our generation was different. Yeah. We did it to get the hell up out of there. For sure. I ain't looked back since right. and don't plan to and don't give a Right. You follow? Yeah, I mean, they tell me all the time, oh, you had this, you had money all your life. No, no. I don't. I ain't finna slum it to prove to you I'm, right. I'm not finna slum it again, again. to prove to you that I come up, came like, up hard. Why? Damn you. <laughs> and people try to, you're right. People try to relive a try to relive a situation to try to prove Ooh. to someone else. No, I really came from the streets. I really sold drugs. I really did this. Like why? Like why would you even want to put that on your back? And and yeah, like, are you actually proud. That ain't of something that? to be proud. You didn't know any better. You right. was trying to make ends. You you was trying to get out of a situation and things happen. But once you know better and you made it, yep. it shouldn't be a situation where you try to impress somebody and go back to that. Thank you. Thank you. When you were when you got locked up, what was going when you were when you were in there? Right. The actual inside the facility, they say there's one thing between your physical body being in prison and your mind being in prison. Right. He says that's when you're lost is when your mind is there. Yeah. Your body was there. Clearly, your mind wasn't there because you were thinking about something else. Yeah. How did you pass the time? How did you get past that moment in your life? I was thinking about how I was going to over, like, what I plan on doing when I get out. And it was in jail that I made my 10-year plan. I, I literally had a 10-year plan of where I want to be in the next 10 years. Okay. And at the top of my plan was I want to be able to work with Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. That was the top of my plan, and that was a team. But that was a hell of a plan. Now, you were right. incarcerated, talking about, I would work with Mike. I right. would work with Mike. He did that bigger, he the bigger mo. He the bigger, <laughs> listen, I said, if I work with Mike, I'd have made it. Yeah. I, I'm good. God bless right. me. 
And for sure enough, within five years of that plan, I had already reached it. And I think that's what drove me to philanthropy quicker because once I reached that goal in five years, I was like, man, God gave me everything I ever wanted to do. Right. Like, what do I do now? I, I don't want to just be known for singing and dancing. I want to be able to be an impact. I want to be able to, you know, when 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 I when I rub or I'm attached to anybody, their name or their their situation is upgraded better. Like I want to be able to make lives better. Just right. by God giving me the position to be in a position to help other people. You know. What made you decide to move to Atlanta? What's what? I mean, you got there, and then you lived there. That's home now. Right. Um, I met you, we, we saw each other a couple, it's funny how you meet somebody, we fly, fly <laughs> right. back from Atlanta to we LA. We like we knew each other for years. <laughs> we carried on a conversation like, hey, we've been boys for a long time. <laughs> Why did you move to Atlanta or did you move with family or you moved on your own? And what's Atlanta, what's the Atlanta, Atlanta experience been like for you? Well, in the beginning, my dad actually was a, you know, he was a um, jazz musician. Okay. But he also was a professor. Okay. He chose, you know, he, um, he taught a lot of, he did a lot of culture exchange programs with universities. Okay. He did it with Miami. He did it in Atlanta, Clark. Okay. So he moved to Atlanta early. Okay. At the time, I was hustling in Jersey. Right. So when Pops decided to move to Atlanta, I decided to stay in Jersey for reasons only I knew, right? right. Then Pops was like, listen, you got to come to Atlanta. Atlanta's a beautiful place. It's right. fresh. And I'm like, wow, that's a new territory for me. <laughs> you ain't come, you ain't come I, for the reason Pop thought. Right. Then when I heard the, then I heard the Olympics was coming there, I said, right. oh yeah, I'm gone. Right. So I moved to Atlanta, but when I got to Atlanta, I was I was honestly surprised of how amazing it was there. Yes. I never turned back and went back to Jersey. I like I didn't have till this day. I, I left my furniture, everything in that apartment, never came back for right. it. Right. You know, but then when I realized the opportunities in Jersey, I mean Atlanta. And then the people and how nice they was, the food and the beautiful women, and it was just, it was like, it was a no-brainer. It was a no-brainer. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So you came in what, what year, 95? I came in 94. 94. Yep. Oh, so you came to Freaknik. You know my Freaknik? Yes. You know my Freaknik? Freaknik is where I stayed. <laughs> Freak niggas where I stayed. I said, this would never happen Ain't in New nothing. Jersey. Ain't ever. Nothing. I don't care. I mean, we had Freak Nick. We had Jack the Rapper. Right. We, we had everything. Everything. Nobody. everything. Freak Nick is Woodstock. Man, foot on, for black on steroids. <laughs> <laughs> Freak Nick is, black, is Woodstock for yeah. black people. That's what it is. It's Hoodstock. Coachella. It's, I, mean, I mean, all of a sudden, now everybody yeah. goes to Coachella. But Freak Nick. Ain't nothing, like, ain't nothing like Freak Nick. Ain't nothing like it, man. You had a student, uh, before blowing up, you went to, you went to jail for armed robbery. Stealing cars, yeah, bro. I know. Do you know that's, that stealing cars is dangerous because the owner run out there up on you and then what? But see, that's the thing. In Jersey, we we kind of perfected the art of stealing cars. <laughs> I know it sounds crazy. I, I know, mean, but that's what we was known for. Right. Jersey, like this is what we do. So when I came to Atlanta, and you brought that to Atlanta because uh, they didn't know anything about it. So you was ahead. You was ahead, ahead of your time. They knew nothing about it. <laughs> so it was like the perfect. Oh, it was so perfect. You had a studio. Who are some of the famous artists that came through your st studio? Oh, man, man, everybody worked. I mean, practically almost everybody from Atlanta. If you name them, they didn't work through our studio. Like, literally everybody. You still um, got Usher, TLC, I mean, I mean, even everybody. 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 So everybody came through our studio. You're sitting, you're sitting on your cot, and you said, I want to work with Michael Jackson. Did you always know what you wanted to do from that moment on? You're like, you know what, Lord, if you get me out of this situation, I promise you. I will never, ever come back. I will never, ever ask you to do a, me another favor again. That was my exact words, too. <laughs> I said, Lord, I won't steal a piece of bubble gum. <laughs> Just get me out of this situation, and I promise you. And I kept my word, and my life has been amazing ever since. When we see, we see what happened with PNB, Rob, and we Man, see what so Dolph, we see what uh, Pop Smoke. What's going on? It's, it goes back to this generation again trying to prove to people, right? So you get to the position where, okay, it's one thing to acknowledge the fact that there's people out there starving. Yes. And struggling. Yes. But it's another thing to know it and flash it in their face mm -hmm. and make them feel as if they're less than what, they're sh or what they should be, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're utilizing someone else's 
environment to profit, mm -hmm. the people that's being profited from is going to feel some kind of way. Right. And they're going to feel like not only that you owe them something, but it's disrespectful. That's just being poor and knowing this, right? right? So when you get to a situation like that, you got to also respect the idea of knowing that the environment in which you came from, that you don't plan to go back, or if you did, or if you haven't done anything for those people that feel that you should, there's going to be some repercussions in you opening up the treasure trunk of your what's the, uh, blessing. Because mm -hmm. unfortunately, our people as black people, we just believe we're owed something. We owe you made it from something. you made it from here. You got to break it back. But even look and, at Nipsey. Nipsey right. was giving back to his community. He's, He's giving, giving back, it. and it still happens because that jealousy, man. We have this envy yeah, that that it's this. Why it's, are we on the community that's like that? It's not like that in other communities. It really is. They not feel like they're owed something. Really I mean, isn't. because now I gotta, man, I gotta drive a beat up truck or I gotta dress down. Because I'm afraid somebody gonna see something and be mad at me because I bust my ass to make it out, and now you jealous because I got on some designer or right. I got a little, a little right. chain or I drive a nice car. Right. You like, bro? You owe me. Break me off. No, get right. up and go to work. Un I'm not saying everybody. Everybody's not gonna be gonna make millions of dollars. Right. But you can you can do something. You should you shouldn't feel like well you got it, I'm gonna take it from you. It's it's just unfortunate because we've created this 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 scenario that we have to value ourselves with material things. Right. And the that's how we things, measure ourselves. Right. That's how we measure ourselves. So when somebody's coming up, the first thing they do is buy a car, buy a house, buy some jewelry. Right? So and then this is saying, okay, you gotta look like money to make money. Right. Half the time we faking it until we make it. And that's just being real. Now I ain't going in debt till I make it. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm, I'm, as a culture, yeah. as a culture, we it fake is. it till we make it. It is. Right? Because yeah. me and I and it's it's like a radar because if I walk into a, a business meeting and somebody's all trinketed it up with all these ornaments on them. I already know he ain't got no money. <laughs> I already know you broke. You ain't fooling me, bro. That used to be me. Yeah. <laughs> Off top, I'm now now I'm tuned out already. Right. Because like, why do you have to do all that? Right. If you're successful, just come show me the you know pre present what you present got to present it, yeah. and sell it. Yeah. But all extra is to try all to that, all, all that the, the Jedi mind trick. <laughs> you you said you uh you like. You believe uh, uh, labels are making money off rappers dying? One, oh yeah, for sure. I mean, because believe me, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that can be put in place to prevent it. Believe it or not, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but at the end of the day, we can't always blame the establishment for mistakes that we make. As well. Right, right. Because it ain't like we don't know better either. Like it goes back to people used to always get on Jay on why he don't go back to Marcy Projects. I'm like, why should he? Yeah, and do what? Cause and somebody jealous? What? And do what? But what? But why? But, why? Why are we like that? I mean, you look at uh, Justin Timberlake ain't trying to beat up Robin Thicke. <laughs> he, I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, uh, Adele ain't, uh, you know, ain't trying to fight. So why is it the rap culture? Why is it us that feel that even if it's nothing there, we'll create a situation? We, yeah. And it's about you know, all of a sudden now you got to be disrespectful about somebody's girl. Right. You got to be disrespectful about you know how I snatched your chain and you snatched this, right. or I ran up on your boy. What 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 what's what's so big about that? What what is what's, I, I, what's, I, honestly I can never understand that. It's, till this day I don't know how to answer a question like that. It's just our mentality has been so twisted and distorted, and just history of just being manipulated by each other. And then we don't have trust amongst each other, so it's hard for us to come together right. and create anything great, because there's always going to be this, uh, you know. He got more than I did, or why should he be in that position when I created or you know established this? It's, it's never a say. Let, look, let's just put all that aside and figure right. out how we can come together, put our source together, and create something great. Right. Without and actually wanting it for each other, than to be jealous of each other. Right. It just. I mean, it's tough. I mean, you, you can always blame it on history because we we always been separated according to classes. We always mm -hmm. been, you know. But at the end of the day, there has to be a time in a, in life where we can say, you know what? Yes, it happened, but we can do something about it. Right. But when do you get tired enough to say, let's just stop talking and protesting and just have, and let actions actually allow us to come together and create something great? It says, Fat Joe says he believes rappers are an endangered species. You believe that? 1,000%. I mean, it's a new rapper dying every week. It's the most dangerous occupation in the world right now.
Did this start with the Biggie and Tupac beef? Because I don't remember. Look, I remember when LL and Cool Mo D had it right. back. <laughs> man, I use that. I use that as an example all the time. I mean, LL, and I, it was I all on whack. That's right. all it was. LL wasn't trying to roll up on Mo. Right. Cool Mo D wasn't trying to roll up on him. Right. And we just, hey, it was just you know lip sparring at its finest. It was rap. And then, rap was it, built on battling. And then somehow, Tupac and Biggie, and it escalated to that level, and we hadn't looked back since. Yeah. It, it, it's unfortunate because a lot of the gangsters are very emotional. They're the most emotional people on the planet. And most of them was raised by their mother or their grandmothers. Mm -hmm. Their father figures weren't a part of their lives. So the man side of them that would take a joke ain't there. Because the father wasn't there to show, okay, as a man, your skin should be as tough as leather. Little words should never affect you. Right. To the point now, I mean, because me being raised more from my African side of my family, it's like, okay, you get it. Because right. it's just a different level of a responsibility that the man, like, owns. Today, a, the man of the house will easily tell you, well, that ain't my responsibility. That's, or matter of fact, he's not a role model. Mm -hmm. You got famous people that says, I'm not a role model. That ain't my, that's not my, you know, responsibility. Right. Okay, then whose responsibility is it? Right. If the kids are looking up to you. Right. It's not a choice. This comes with the territory. Once you become successful and you're in a position where you actually influence people, that's your role towards God to say, man, he put me in this position for a reason. It ain't just for me to focus on myself and tell everybody or show everybody how hot I am. I got to actually be some kind of use to the environment and to population to say, okay, cool, I have to lead by example. Because what I do, kids are watching this and gonna wanna do the same thing. And you gotta keep that in mind. Right. Kanye West, you've defended Kanye West in the past, and I, I, I believe in freedom of speech, but I believe you can take it too far also. Right. What are your thoughts on Kanye right now? Well, yeah, I always, I'm always defending the people that nobody wants to defend. I'm always defend Kanye West because I always believe in life an opinion is just an opinion. If Ye say something that I don't agree with, I just don't agree with it. Right. But I'm not gonna go jumping all over, mad and letting it affect my energy. But you do realize, you, but, but he's a person of influence. But Remember you just said it goes, about it. it goes right back to that, right? Now, the last comments he made in these last days, I definitely don't agree. Right. Because it's there was a reason why the phrase Black Lives Matter was even created. Right. It wasn't just a concept for marketing and gimmick. Right. right. It was a history of behavior and hurt and pain and for racism. For 400 years. That led to that, to the point where the world was like, wait a minute, something. Our lives got to matter too. It has to. Right. Right? Right. So I see what maybe what he was trying to say or what he was trying to do. Clearly, everybody, we all believe that all lives matter. Correct. We do. Right. I mean, it has to matter for right. us to survive. Yeah, right? it's supposed to be all it's, lives matter, but we've seen the situations it ha all it, lives don't it, matter. It, it hasn't mattered. All lives hadn't mattered, right? Yes. So you can't use your emphasis or that phrase into a situation like this. Right. Because it don't fit here. Right. This has to be resolved first before that happens. Right. You understand? Yes. In order for all lives to matter, this, this these lives have to matter. Right. Correct. Because we're the lives that's driving Economy, sports, entertainment, fashion, I mean, multi-billion dollar corporations are benefiting from our sweat, tears, work, influence, everything. Right. So if our life don't matter, nothing really actually matters right. in America. He said about, you know, he's going to go DEFCON 1, 2, 3, said something about the Jewish communities. He was supposed to be on the shop, his right. uh, interview on the shop. They canceled that. Candace Owens showed something from J.P. Morgan Chase where they said, we're ending our relationship. Mm -hmm. When a bank says, I'm going to end my relationship with an individual, and that individual is worth billions. Right. I think that speaks volume. That says a lot. That says Because one thing we know about banks, they like money. Oh. I mean, and they, what they more like more than money is your money. They ain't going to leave you none of theirs. They ain't going to leave they, you none of theirs. They're going to give you a little bit of interest on the money you put in there. Absolutely. But that, I mean, I mean, someone like Kanye, I think sometimes in certain areas, he honestly forgets that his opinion doesn't always matter. Right. It doesn't. He thinks his opinion is law, though. He thinks his opinion always matters. His opinion is just his opinion. But as, as, as us listening to it, 
we got to also know that too. But then to your point, there's kids that don't know the difference between how powerful his opinion is right. when they're themselves are trying to find themselves. But you know what? Sometimes Kanye forget that he, 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 you and I color. <laughs> and then they got to do things to remind him. No, they got to remind him. They have to remind and, and you, him. And you yeah. see what happened? But I, honestly, I think he knows. No, he don't know. He forget. I think, no, Sometimes I think, no. you get a little no, money. No, no I, he, I, I think Kanye's smarter than y'all think. This is the brilliant side of him. What is, what is his next plan? To run for office, right? I'm just saying. Yeah. From our knowledge, his next plan is to run for office, right? Mm -hmm. Who is his main endorser? Trump. Trump. Okay. Now, in order for Kanye to even have a shot, he need a piece of that drip, that base. Yes. This is how he's getting it. Right. And he knows this. Yes. He knows that it's going, okay, he going he gonna to make a lot of black people angry. Right. But guess what? We're forgiving people. That's, we yes. We are. Yes. He knows yes. that too. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, right. he said something You're fucked right. up. But guess what? Tomorrow he going to do something great. We're going to be like, you know what? That nigga crazy, but he all right. Yeah, he all right. He made good music. <laughs> <laughs> so right. he's kind of right. playing the seesaw, but right. he got to be careful because if it's too much weight on one side or not enough weight on the other side, right. he's going to go down. You're originally from St. Louis. Yeah, St. Louis, Missouri. Did you know Nelly? Man, you know me and Nelly like brothers. Like we went to the same middle school. Okay. That's like my heart right there. So... Did you want did did you want to do music when you were when you were little? What did you want what did you want to do when you were growing up when you were like in middle school, say you're like 9, 10, 11, what did they call want to be? I wanted to be a brain surgeon. And then I wanted to be an FBI agent. I know it's crazy, right? That is, you go from an FBI agent you to a comic. To making music. Damn. And then the music part came when I was locked up, when I realized, okay, cool, when I get out of here, I need to find something that's gonna keep me out of here, right. something that's gonna also allow me to be wealthy. And then that's all this time, music has always been there as a hobby. So you was always nothing, have an ear for music? Always had, always had the love for music. Right, you had a love for music. But it wasn't nothing that I ever wanted to pursue as, well thought that I would be pursuing as a career. Okay. It was always a hobby. And then you get and, locked up and you said, okay, I gotta find something I can do that's gonna keep me not to get locked up again. Right. And then, so when you got out, so, so how, did you, how did you find this, you had this gift for music? Well, the gift of music came from my father. My father was a jazz musician. Right. And he always was... Well, he was a jazz musician before you got locked up. You just didn't realize he was a magician when you was in there, did No, you? I knew then, but okay. I, the thing is... You didn't he, play any instruments with Yeah, you? I played all the instruments as well, but he used to... <laughs> care, listen, I used to go to all his shows and everything, but it was jazz. And I was a kid. No kid loves jazz. <laughs> so it, that's what threw me off. I'm like, man, I don't want to be listening to this all my man, life. You like to hear the horn, the sax, the trumpet, the trombone, yeah. man. That was cool. Yeah, yeah, but when you're playing with groups like the World Saxophone Quartet, where every player that's playing brass plays their own thing, all you hear is <laughs> like, you know what I'm talking about? The, yeah. the stuff that's just all over the place. Right. I couldn't get a, a, a sense of just a real melody with real rhythm. Like, it was always, the jazz was always so diverse. And everyone, everywhere I went, it was a different type of jazz. I, right. I used to like the real soft jazz with the, you know, the hi-hat with yeah. the, you know, the, like, you know, soft listening yeah. music. Yeah. Yeah. That's the kind yeah. of jazz yeah. I used to like, but I never really heard that much. So. As I got older and I was into the streets, I couldn't really talk to people about situations I was going through, so I wouldn't write songs about them. Right. That was my way of kind of venting. And then when I started making money and I had to justify where the money was coming from, that's when I started investing it into recording studios. Okay. And at that time, cash recording studio was a cash business. Right. So I would allow any and everybody to use my studios for free just to keep it busy to justify where the money was right. coming from. But whenever it was time available... That, 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 that is what they call it. But, they call it when you were the cash. Nah, 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 nah. I know what they call it, but that ain't what it was. That ain't what I thought it was. I never knew that word even existed. That, that was larger, man. <laughs> you had a larger, man. That was, that was I didn't know what I was doing. You was watching. I just knew what I was doing. So that's what the habit of me just writing about my experiences. So when I got locked up, that right. habit followed me in jail, and okay. I wrote about being locked up. Wow. Yeah, you know, it just happened naturally. St. Louis, you know Nelly. Did... Nelly, Nelly is a hell of an athlete. Oh no, he's a beast. I, I am surprised. I mean, I mean, no, he can, I mean, he can run, he can catch, he can yeah, shoot the basketball. Yeah, he was, he was unbelievable. Football skills and baseball. Yes. Baseball, he was a monster. Yes, I yes. was surprised. Honestly, I'm surprised that Nelly ain't go pro. Like he really had the potential to go pro. Do you think Nelly would be on the side that you are? Did you think? I mean, you thought he was going to go pro in baseball, and here he turns out to be one of the biggest, you know, rappers and right. from the Midwest. Um, are you surprised that he went that route? Honestly, I'm I'm not 
Because Nelly was always the cool kid in right. high school. I mean, in middle school and high school. Right. Because he was a great athlete. Niggas handsome. I mean, he was gonna be somebody. Right. But I didn't. I didn't. I didn't know. I, I honestly didn't. Rap was the last thing on my mind. Right. At the time. Yeah. You mentioned your 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 African background, your heritage, your roots. <clears throat> was it a culture shock coming from Africa and being here and the way you did things over there, opposed to? No, complete, complete. <laughs> it was like. I don't know how to explain. Imagine, okay, imagine being this kid living in the jungle. Okay. <laughs> or we'll say rural Africa okay, at this yeah. point, right? Tarzan Where there's, in the jungle. You, 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 yeah, you it, know. No, it was, it was, it was it a was little close? better than Tarzan. <laughs> <laughs> Tarzan. <laughs> so imagine no electricity. Right. No running water. Right. And I was like, I just pick, I was the, the barefooted kid playing soccer in the sand. Okay. There was no cars in that area of Africa where I was right. at. Like you had to go all the way into the city and we never went to the city. So we was there where the, where the horses, where you had to Buggy. jump on the back, the horse back. Okay. So I went from that to getting on an airplane. Now looking in the sky, I always, always think those are birds. I never knew they were actual air, I never knew what they was. Right. When I get to the airport, I see this big old bird. Right. And I'm like, this is a bird. So now we're going inside, I'm scared, I'm like, we're going inside the bird. <laughs> I'm like, yo, what is going? I go inside and there's seats and chairs and stuff, and right. I'm like, I don't know what I'm looking at. But then I'm, I want to sit by the window because I want to see. Want to see. So now, as the plane is taking off, I'm crying, thinking it's going to fall to the ground. Right. I'm boohoo tears. Then I fall asleep, wake up into New York City. Wow. As we're waking up, we're flying over New York City. I see these high-rise buildings. Right. A whole bunch of yellow bugs going down the street. I'm, right. I'm not knowing they cabs at the time. Right. When I finally get in the, you know, in the city, I'm looking around. I've never seen anything like this in my life. Buildings, the tallest heaven. Cars faster than the speed of light. This was like the Jetsons for me. Right. Then my mom brings us to this apartment that's so beautiful, so luxurious. I look at it today like a normal apartment, but right. for me, it was the most beautiful yeah, thing I've you, ever seen in my when life. When you had no running water, no electricity, and you had dirt floors, and all of a sudden it might have been a small apartment, but right. you had running water, you had heat. Man, and you listen, had light. I turn a knob and clean drinking water comes out. <laughs> then I hit a switch and lights are everywhere. And then she fed me cornflakes, the most delicious shit I've ever tasted. <laughs> In my life. That white boss with that roost on there is terrible. But, it's, <laughs> but at the time. But Tony the Tiger, though, <laughs> the frosted. And I could relate to the tiger because I just came from the jungle. <laughs> right, right. So can you imagine my experience? The culture shock was on a different right. level. Obviously, kids, they see you. You talk different. You right. sound different. You look different. You, you know, we got some dark-skinned brothers in Jersey. Right. Like, you know, you know, they, they, they ain't seen, you know. Right, they ain't seen nobody you, like you, me you, at that you time. You came to first place when, right. they, uh, when no. they go to school. I was a champ. So, so what, was it, what was it like for you? How was it, you know, did they pick on you? They, we, we call it picking, but they call it bullying or right. making fun, whatever they want to well, call it. At the time, I mean, I think bullying is a little too strong of a word for it. because, okay. Well, for us, our culture, because yeah. we just join in each other. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah that's what but that's, that's, that's what helped give you that thick skin again. Correct. Right? right? So when I first came, I was super nappy-headed. Okay. I mean, black is tall. Right. And black was not in style. No, and no, you no. know. No, 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 The light-skinned, no, no, no. curly-haired no. kids got all El, the girls. Elder Barge, Chico Barge, the black-skinned brother. Yeah, they made right. the paper bag. It was light-skinned was the style then. Yeah. We took Wesley Snipes and Michael Jordan for us to get the number one. Right. Honestly, yeah. so I, honestly, we came, honestly, we it. I think the, sh the, 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 the it shifted when Tyson Beckford got on board. The supermodel. Yeah. Then every girl wanted a dark yeah, skin guy with big yeah, yeah. eyes. That, that changed the game for right. all of us. Yeah. Then Tyrese came with that smile in the Coca-Cola commercial. Yeah. Then we started like, like, oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Then it started, then right. when I came, it was more like, okay, he's really black. Right. But why? Then it was like, well, wait a minute, he's, he's African. Right. But because me, I was coming up in a different environment. I did any and everything to, you know, to, 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 to impress in. the girls. Okay, yeah. So we spent a lot of money in the clubs in Atlanta. Why are you you no. you dropping it like that? Uh, man, I had to overdo it because I was dark. Right. But I also had to, you know, and I was African. So being black and African. You dropping that money at one twelve like that? No, Magic City. Magic City. Oh, like you was at the city. I was at the city gentlemen's club. Like I was there. Like, oh, <laughs> so you that gentleman's on Ellis? Man, yeah. <laughs> he from Atlanta for real, boy. <laughs> 
What? <laughs> Doing it all of. Come on. Man, what? So now, so now you're like, okay, okay. I kind of, I kind of like being on this side. So yeah. this is what you became once you got out. You started making a little. Mo- you got some money, and you're right. like, okay. I kind of, I kind of like this. Okay. This, this can work. I'm going to straighten there. And you haven't looked back. Never looked back ever since. I mean, but when you arrived in the States, could you speak English? No, I didn't speak not a lick of English. And then when I started learning, I started speaking with this heavy African accent, which made them laugh even harder. Right. Right? So then I vowed to myself that I'm, listen, I'm going to learn English, but once I know how to speak, Unless I tell you I'm African, you would never know because I right. wanted to learn with no accent. So I, I would literally pay so attention to how they spoke, the cadence, the way they said it. How so how did, they... how did you learn? I mean, I hear a lot of people say, well, I watch TV. I right. watch American TV shows. I listen to them. And right. so that's how I learned. Right. Because now, I mean, most people now, if you want to learn a second language, you take classes, you right. get ebooks or Rosetta, or whatever the case may be, right, right, right. and you listen and you learn that way. But just looking at American television, people, they, a lot of people that says, "Well, I learn how watching. I love Lucy. I watch how, learning watching American TV shows." Right. It actually, I mean, it actually works, but I think it's all of the above. Because me, right. I, I learned majority just by hanging with friends. Okay. You know, just hanging with my friends and being outside all the time. Man, how you get rid of it? You, I mean, just being around them. And well, just, I was around people that, that I've been speaking English all my life, and I still talk with a heavy colloquial dialect. But, yeah, but yours is more... Yeah, southern drawl. It's, I was about to say, it's more southern. <laughs> southern is hard to take off. Like, <laughs> even in Atlanta, yeah. even in Atlanta, I kind of try to find a way... Like, to kind of talk like them, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah. for real, Charlotte. Like, yeah, no, no, like no, for real, Charlotte, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I can go there, too. Right. So I had to master the art of accents. Blend, blending. Like, for real, Charlotte, right. you know what I'm saying? Like, for real, Charlotte. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously, the Fugees are from Jersey. Yep. You're close with Wyclef. Yeah, the whole family, man. Clef, Lauren, Price, Spider, like, all those guys kind of brought me into the music world. They introduced me into the music side of it. Okay. Because when Clef um, uh, met me, I actually met him because he sat in my chair. I okay. was cutting his hair as a barber. What the? Yeah, I was a See, barber. I, I, I don't even want to say that because they say <laughs> y'all, y'all do a lot of jobs. So I didn't even want to go there. I didn't want to go there. So I'm going to leave that alone. You go ahead. So you right. was a barber. You know, so I was, yeah, I was cutting his hair. You were, and barber Clef was... worked at a laundromat. <laughs> detailing cars. <laughs> <laughs> and it was funny because Clef knew, like, I'm I'm literally cutting his hair, but then when he saw what was parked outside, he was like, like, he knew. Yeah. So he's like, yo, listen, my, you know, I got a, a studio out here, my uncle provide for us, you should come out there, you and the music. I was like, yeah, I'd love to. So he had me come to the studio. We used to write there, produce there, come up with records and songs. And that's how I became a part of the Refugee Camp. And then before you know it, he, they just introduced me to a whole nother opportunity of what the world could be if I embraced music. Man, I'm looking at some of the artists that you work with. Michael Jackson, Whitney Houston, Madonna, Quincy Jones, Lionel Richie, Snoop Dogg, Dr. Dre. You uh, you remixed uh, 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 Wanna Be Starting Something with Michael for the 25th anniversary of the Thriller. Right. When you, I mean, when you talk to producers, it doesn't get any better than Quincy Jones and Dr. Oh, Dr. man. I mean, you do, yeah, that's the gold Those standard. Two, yeah. I, I was talking, I was talking, I, was, I think I was talking to Snoop, and I was like, Snoop, if it was a versus battle, who would you put against Dr. Dre? He's like, hell, the only person you could put him is Quincy Jones. Right. I mean, I mean, right. ain't can't nobody, first of all, right. I don't believe anybody could beat Quincy. Not with all his hits, because he's he touched too many. Too many. I mean, and in every Frank, genre. Frank Sinatra, yeah, yeah. In so every, TV shows. Every so, genre. So he's unbeatable in, in a versus battle. He's unbeatable. Like, you can't even compare him. What, what, what's it, what, what was Michael like? Man, Mike, it hurts me every day to think about it, because he was the coolest dude you probably would ever met. And he was, like, the biggest misconception was Mike was just this Hollywood character. Right. But... He wasn't. He was the simplest guy. And he can and he knew when to turn it on, obviously, because his generation, he knew what a superstar was supposed to look and feel like in public. Right. So when come public, oh he turned it on. Right. Like he knew, like Mike was a G, like he right. get it, right? Right. But behind closed doors as a person, man, he used to have me crying, like so funny, super cool, just a great, great heart, man. Pure soul, man. So you you do you remix I wanna be starting something. How did how did that project come about? Um, actually, the project came about because I, I, I received a call one day. Um, me and Mike actually had the same attorney, but I didn't know at the time that right. we shared attorneys. 
And then, you know, my attorney called me. Um, he was like, Mike wants you to come on board and, you know, and, and produce on, on this new re-release for the Thriller. I was like, man, stop playing. Michael Jackson? He said, yes, Michael Jackson. So, but he started laughing after he said it, so I thought he was joking. And at that time, I like, man, I ain't got time for this, so I hung up the phone. He calls me back, he calls me back with Mike on the phone on three-way. He said, remember what I told you? Mike is on the phone. Hi, Mike, talk to Khan. And he's like, hey, Khan, how are you? With the voice. Right. I said, oh, these niggas is bullshit. Let me hang on the phone again. I ain't got time for this. So he calls Don't back. Don't play it on the phone. Right, he calls back. He said, no, it's me, seriously, it's me. I said, no, it's not. He said, yes, it's me. He started telling me everything about myself that I forgot about. It was so interesting because when I flew out to Vegas to meet him, I didn't understand. It, it made me realize how and why he was so big. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. First of all, he was a, he was a music guy. Like, he was a fan of the art mm -hmm. and the people involved in it. Because even how he explained and kind of narrated his story about me from his point of view, he made me look at myself different. But then more than anything, I started to realize how even how easy it was to work with him. Because out of every artist I ever worked with, Mike was probably the easiest person to work with. If I would have asked him to bark on the record, he would have barked on the record. Only because he believed in what I did. And right. he wanted me to be able to be, to coach him. Right. To do, so if the collaboration felt like a real collaboration. You right. know what I mean? So. It was just amazing. He had no ego about nothing. He, he was willing to try any and everything to make the best product he could. It, um, you were the last, I mean, Michael Jackson's last song, Hold My Hand. Yeah. You worked with him. Whitney, Like I Never Left. You worked. I was the last to work on her as well, too, before she passed, which is crazy. When you look, and look, I understand, that because, look, you worked with a lot of guys from G's and all these guys, but you understand what Whitney represents. You 100%. understand what Mike represents. Absolutely. You're talking about the upper, upper, upper. There, there's levels to this music thing now. 100%. And you're talking about Michael, he's he's at the top of the food chain. Right. You're talking about Whitney, she's at the top of the food chain. Right. And the last to work, you were the last to work with them. Yeah, that was... The only one that I that I was right in motion to working with before he left was Prince. He's the only one I missed. That would have that sealed my legacy for that. I'm trying to think. I think... He had a concert in Atlanta, mm. and the way he did his concerts, you could only buy, you could only get two tickets, but you had to show up at the box office with the credit card in hand. Okay, obviously I'm not going to wait in no line, and the tickets that were like a hundred bucks, people were selling for like two thousand, three thousand dollars, right. and I'm like, nah, hell nah. It was really the last concert he ever did. Did wow. it at the Fox. And I, he's one of the only guys that I didn't get an opportunity to see, and he's one of my favorite artists. And so wow. I understand, you know, obviously I wasn't gonna get it, but to just to hear him. Right, right. You get an opportunity to work with Michael, work with some of the people, work with uh, uh, Whitney, right. and to say, I work with Prince, because now, again, right. you're talking about the upper effort. See, talk Prince was a little bit different, and a little, the reason why it was harder to lock, or block it, get into him, was because he himself was a writer and a producer. Correct. He created his own music. Right. That's why I was such, would have been such an honor right. for him to go outside that space right. of himself and experiment with someone else. Yes. You know what I mean? So it was, it was a matter of just getting close enough to him to just let him hear. Hear some of the things that you told I me. promise you, if he would have heard it, he'd have been in. He'd have been locked. Right. But you could, one thing about Prince, he always had that mystique. That, like, that's, that, that's, what I, that's one thing I actually in, uh, admired about that generation. Superstars wasn't easy to get to. Right. And they made it hard. So if you finally did get to him, you had to make it count. Right. Today, you go to the mall, you see it everybody. <laughs> you go to the club, you see it everybody. Everybody, there's somebody 
Right. The access to these guys now is a lot different than what it was. What then. it was. You're probably you, you weren't probably you weren't bumping into Michael at the club. No. Unless it was Studio 54. You weren't bumping right. into Prince. You weren't bumping right. into those guys. Right. Un unless it was a very very special occasion. Absolutely. Now, hey. Oh no. Yeah. You go out in Atlanta, you probably bump into Lil Baby, Lil Durk. You go bump, you know, you go bump it all. You go bump into all of them. Yeah. You go bump into all of them. I'm looking at um, what was it like to work with Mike in the studio? Oh man, that was the best experience ever. Like Mike, Mike, Mike was the first artist that I worked with of at that time that didn't need no auto tune. He didn't need no auto tune. But I had to do it because I just wanted to see auto tune on him. <laughs> so I had to just a little bit, but so so when you hear people say, "Well, uh, uh, I don't know how," because I hear people say, "Talent and singing." Right. Okay. If you want to say talent, I think Prince is obviously because he can play. Oh no, talent! Guitar. Hands down, hands down, he does everything. Right. With his eyes closed. But when they would see people miss when they talk about Chris Brown and Michael. Right. See now y'all got to miss me. I don't even want to talk to y'all no more. I ain't got nothing right. to say. No, I, this, I, let me let me let me give another perspective on that. In this day and age, the only person, in my opinion, that could have achieved just as great as a legacy as Mike to me would have been Chris Brown. I just believe that Chris Brown was surrounded by the circle of creative people that Mike was surrounded by. Wow. Because Chris got the talent. Wow. He just needed the direction. Right. Right? So imagine if Chris had Mike's team. Right. Just imagine that. It would it would be something different. And that's big, but huh? Chris is hung, like he got he got bloods around him. He got little gangbangers around him. Right. He don't have the guidance. Right. He's smart, but he's smart according to what this generation smart attracts. Right. Okay. For me to survive in this era, I gotta keep certain things around me, certain people around me. Just so I can keep, keep getting it going. Right. But if he was able to delete all that and say, look, I'm gonna focus on being the greatest entertainer ever, it's Chris has now. the opportunity. It's too late now. <laughs> it's too late now. Yeah. 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 But I think yeah, that's why everybody love you though, cause yo, boy, you so boy. Ain't nobody selling no hundred million albums. Ain't nobody no, no, doing no. that again. That, no, no. That's over. That's but over. You could, but 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 you now you got the streaming. So I'm now you do, I, I, I don't know really how streaming work. Do you get a quarter, you get 50 cent, you get a dime for how many streams you get? I, right, I don't right. really know how that works. Right, right. But, I mean, he seems to be doing unbelievable in that. Oh, yeah, he's killing it. He's killing it. I've also, killing. you signed Lady Gaga, T-Pain, French Montana, Wiz Kid. You mentioned something, auto-tunes. Has auto-tunes ruined the industry? Nah, it helped. It honestly helped because a lot of these. So I can't sing, so I get on auto tune. That would sound like. Man, I, I would rather you get on auto tune, please. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the the most amazing part about working with the older generation artists, like the Michael Jacksons and the Whitney Houstons and the Lionel Richies. They ain't need no auto. They didn't need it. I never used I mean, any of like the grass and bare. all those right. guys. I mean, everybody basically, everybody from like. From the 90s, moving back towards the 70s and right. 80s, I mean, 80s and 70s, they didn't use any of that. No, they Their didn't. Their voices were impeccable. Impeccable. Like, impeccable. <laughs> and and guess what? Those recordings that you hear, that you heard, those are one takes. Because every time they messed up, they had to start again from the top. Whereas us, if we mess up, we can just, all right, start from where I messed up at and repunch it. Right. So it was a different, it was a different time there. Now, Adele don't use no auto-tunes now. You know? I heard of Adele. Whoo, Lord, have mercy. That's something about <laughs> Oh, that boy, so hers. You signed Lady Gaga, T-Pain, French Montana, Where's the Kid. How did you meet these artists? Oh, man, just in the travels and moving around. Um, with Pain, my little brother Boo brought me Pain. Okay. I give Boo the credit for finding and discovering Pain. I was just a platform that we can toss him on to give him, get him to where he needed to be. Right. Right? Gaga, she was actually already on Interscope when I signed my label deal there. And I saw her, and I was like, yo, Jimmy, I need that for my label. And Jimmy tossed me that bowl, gave me that. Like, but the greatest Ga gift he's ever given Lady me. Lady Gaga can really sing. No, no, I mean, people, I, think, I think sometimes people look at the makeup and see how the outfits, and they're like, oh, yeah. It's no, not human. no, she can sing. She's not human, bro. She, she, she is amazing. Like, creatively, mentally, like, she's, I mean, she, she, she thinks beyond the average artist. Like, just to come up with the things that you guys seen, we had to dumb certain things down just to get it across so people could understand it. But she's 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 on a different level. What is what is your um 
your artist development process? How do you like, okay, I got this person. This is where I think they can go. Right. Here's the process that I'm going to use in order to get them, him or her there. How do you go about that? Like all the artists that I take full responsibility for, they all go through the same system. They start with me. We figure out what they want to do, how they want to see their years in 10 years. Okay. Where you want your life to be in 10 years. Then we have a real conversation about the industry. Learn the business. Once they got that part right, then we take them straight to artist development. Take them right there to Marvelous Studios in Atlanta. Okay. The best that ever did it. All the artists that we ever love, from New Edition to Boys and Men to <clears throat> TLC, you name it. He's the, shaped them up into superstars. They all go through that process. Okay. Then they come out of there, we go into the studio. Okay. We make the biggest hit record according to our conversations, your passion, and what you want to be. Now we got a body of work. You've been through artist development, so you can speak well. You can perform well. You are prepared for what you're about to get. Then we go into the right distribution partner. Who do we decide is the perfect partner for distribution for this record, depending on the size and where and the territories that we want to go? Then we pick the labels that we want to partner with. Once we got them, come release dates, come release. Once we release, they like it's almost like raising a chick into a chicken and just letting it, letting it go. Put it in the oven and it's a great meal. Well, see, you talk about letting it go. I, that ain't what you know. That ain't what you did. You talk about putting it in the oven now. Nah. <laughs> 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 But you're willing to let your artists out of contracts. You oh, don't yeah, believe no. in keeping locked out of no, contracts. I I, we see what Meg Thee Stallion is going through. Right. So many, even Mike ended up having a problem with his with his label. Right. Prince had a problem with his label. You're like, okay, y'all, you're not happy. You want to leave? But okay. Right. I mean, all, all, all my contracts are built to create superstars, entrepreneurs, and give them the freedom to give that opportunity to somebody else. Right. So I never hold them to the fullest extent of the contract ever. Right. At the moment, they feel like okay, they've grown and they want to go on their own. And I feel like we didn't give them everything they need to do that. Right. Then we 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 just let them walk. We don't ask for no recoupment. We don't ask for anything. We just allow them to be who they are. T Pain originally wrote "I'm Strong for You," but you didn't like it. Um, man, you man, you could have made no, a hit. No, it was a hit. But I believe the record would be bigger on him because that was a hit record. Right. I could have took it, and he right. The reason why I didn't want it because I wanted it for him. Right. Because I knew that record was gonna make somebody's career. Right. My career was already made. Right. He didn't see how big that record was, but I knew. I knew how big that record was, and I knew that record would make him the biggest urban artist that can line up with what I need going on to take him to the next level. Right. So I, I refused to take the record because I believe that that record was supposed to be for him. Is there any other songs you've turned down you wish you hadn't? I mean, you don't wish you would turn that down, well, but is there any songs that you turned down that you're like, damn, I should have took that one? One record that I gave away that I felt, damn, I should have kept was Soul Survivor. <laughs> <laughs> I gave it. I said, I should have kept this record, man. Yeah. I, 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 I needed that for myself. Right. <laughs> what happened with the fan, the, the fan that you threw back at the, the, the fan in the crowd? Oh man, that that was an interesting time because it, that, that was around the time when I had just got out. Oh, you was on. I was yeah. fresh, a lot of money, super arrogant and confident. Right. But I had the same, you know, the street mentality. I'm, I can't. I will never be disrespected, especially right. in front of a lot of people. Right. So I'm on stage and I'm performing. And the next thing you notice, I see something coming at me. At first, I thought I was seeing something. But then when it got really close, I'm like, oh, whoa. That almost like hit me in the face. And I said, yo, wait a minute, who threw that? So the crowd, everybody just pointed there. <laughs> you asked me, okay, he pointed. So, he did it. Now, at that point, it's like, okay, shoot, what do I do now? I can't be out here. And I, can't, I can't just be like, okay, let bro, it don't do that no more. Right. I couldn't let it slide because, especially in the industry we was in around right. that time, if one person tries you, everybody feel like right. they can try you. Right. So it's almost like you had to set an example, which is the wrong analogy. So at the point when all the fingers was in, I said, right, yo, come on up here, bring, bring him up. So now the crowd is bringing him to me. As he's coming, I'm deciding, what am I gonna do to show this dude <laughs> and the audience right. that I'm not to be played with, right? I said, man, should I just hit him with one, boom, just knock him out? And I said, nah, that'd be too much. And then I said, you know what? Don't worry about it. When it come, I just play it by ear. And as soon as he came on stage, he just came to hug me. And at that moment, I felt bad. I was like, damn, I can't do nothing to him. He actually, this is he probably, probably trying to get my attention. Right. So I said, nah, okay, I got to figure something out. Then it hit me. I said, cool, I'm just going to throw him in the crowd in a soft spot. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so as he come to hug me, I just picked him up, found a soft spot, and threw him. Right? But then, of course, it, 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 got, it got thrown out of proportion. But at the same time, it did give me 
the respect that I needed right. to move forward. But at the same time, I felt so bad because I said, I could, you know what, I could have handled that a little bit better. Right. <laughs> hey, Con, you, uh, look, you provided electricity for over 16 countries in Africa. You have a utility company, worked with the Biden administration. Because you grew up with no electricity, is that was, is, was that one of the reasons you wanted to give back in that way to your, your yeah, homeland? Like me knowing the impact of just growing up without electricity made me say, okay, the moment I make it and I'm in position to do that, I want to be able to provide electricity for right. people that didn't have. Absolutely. When um, I see uh, China gave you six, gave you a billion dollars, loaned you a billion dollars, I see you have awarded a six billion dollar contract to build a city. Yes, yeah, the Akon City in Senegal. I'm super excited. I can't wait to host y'all when that happens. How, how, how close is that upon completion? Or, I mean, how much, have, how much of the build-out have you completed? Wow. So I learned so much dealing with this project, right? I realized that it was so much prep leading into even construction. Right. So for the last two years, we've been doing environmental studies. We've been doing soil studies, all the studies leading up into it and getting all the licenses and everything else. So now, 2023 in January, we actually start the construction process. And the first phase is going to take three years. Right. But then after that phase, it's going to be done in three three year, um, three phases and three years per phase. But after the first phase, we can start inviting people in. Right. Yeah. I read that you tried to start a diamond business in Africa, but said it's worse than the drug game. No, I actually had, I had purchased a diamond mine and realized, yeah, it was way worse than the drug game. So I sold it. I'm going to let your boy go mine. Man, I had it for five years. I said, boy. You getting the diamonds out it was, of it? it was no, oh, yeah. It was, a, it was a great profitable business. Around the time when I was in the music business, I was actually supplying a lot of the jewelers in Diamond District with my diamonds. Wow. And, yeah. you, let it, and you gave it up. I had to. It was, it was, it was, then it was around the time we also had the Blood Diamond conflict. Yeah. There was other mines See, that early was going, on, yeah. It was a lot going on, and I didn't want my name getting tied into that stuff, because I know yeah. how the media works sometimes. I got to get you out of here on this one. Yeah. You're a big sports fan. Who's your favorite team? Basketball or the Lakers? Laker. Who's your favorite player? LeBron. Honestly, wherever team LeBron went, that was my favorite team. Before LeBron, it was Shaq. Right. You had, I'm reading that you almost got a scholarship. Would you have a scholarship to Georgia Tech? But you messed your knee up? Yeah. You had who's like that? I can play. I can play now. One thing about St. Louis, sports was the thing. Right. That was our way out. Somebody had, I mean, if you weren't going to make it through music, you're going to definitely make it through sports. Right. My man. I appreciate that, bro. Absolutely. I appreciate your time today. I really appreciate <laughs> it. No, I had a good time. All my life, been grinding all my life. Sacrifice, hustle pay the price, wanna slice, got to roll the dice, that's why all my life, I've been grinding all my life, yeah. all my life, been grinding all my life, sacrifice, hustle pay the price, wanna slice, got to roll the dice, that's why all my life, I've been grinding all my life. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.